I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I have developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. Today we're reading Exodus chapters 33 through 35. This is the New King James Version of the podcast. The King James Version is also available. In Exodus chapter 33, we see that God takes the original Canaan entry plan off the table. Verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Depart and go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your descendants I will give it. And I will send my angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanite and the Amorite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. And when the people heard this bad news, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the children of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. I could come up into your midst in one moment and consume you. Now therefore take off your ornaments, that I may know what to do to you. So the children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments by Mount Horeb. Well, the repercussions from the Hebrew uprising against God and Moses in Exodus chapter 32 continues into this chapter. Remember back in Exodus chapter 23 when God explained systematically how the Hebrews would be able to move through Canaan and conquer it with the angel of the Lord going before them and God's hand guiding them? Well, that whole scenario of victory rested upon the conditions of Exodus chapter 23 verse 22 which says, But if you indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak. So what's happened here? Well, it's obvious that they have not obeyed God. Subsequently, we see that God retracts the offer of Exodus chapter 23. We see here in verse 3, God says, For I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. Well, nobody's happy about that stipulation. I mean, without God's presence before them, who wants to dare make an attempt to move into Canaan? Moses, go do something about this. Now, let's make a note here. The wording here is a little difficult to follow. We see the Exodus 23 promise recited down through the middle of verse 3. Then the retraction of that promise begins in the second half of verse 3. We do see, however, that Moses pleads with God in the balance of chapter 33 to reinstate the Exodus 23 plan. That plan is fully reinstated in Moses' meeting with God when we get over to Exodus chapter 34, verses 10 and 11. Beginning in verse 7 of chapter 33, Moses and God meet in the tabernacle that's not the tabernacle. Verse 7, Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called it the Tabernacle of Meeting. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the Tabernacle of Meeting, which was outside the camp. So it was, whenever Moses went out to the Tabernacle, that all the people rose, and each man stood at his tent door, and watched Moses until he had gone into the Tabernacle. 
And it came to pass, when Moses entered the tabernacle, that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses. All the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose and worshipped, each man in his tent door. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face, as a man speaks to his friend. And he would return to the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people. But you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray. If I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way, that I may know you, and that I may find grace in your sight, and consider that this nation is your people. And he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then he said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. And he said, Please show me your glory. Then he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, You cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, Here is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be, while my glory passes by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Well, Moses here has a face-to-face meeting with God, albeit through the veil of the tent Moses had erected for his meetings with God. Now, this tent, by the way, is not the tabernacle, which will be built later, but verse 7 indicates that this was not an unusual procedure for seeking God's presence. It says, For everyone who sought the Lord, and that's not just Moses. This tent was erected far from the camp, we're told, and was the designated meeting place between God and Moses at this point in time while Moses is negotiating with God concerning Israel's rebellion, that rebellion that took place in Exodus chapter 32. Israel's gotten off track with that whole golden calf ordeal, and Moses here is looking for some answers on how to get back into God's favor. Moses gets right to the point. He says, without God's presence among them, they don't want to go to Canaan. Well, it's a good thing one man... Moses is still in favor with God. Look at God's reply to Moses in chapter 33, verse 17. It says, So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. One man's faithfulness to God bails out some two million or so people, people who had sorely disappointed God with their faithlessness. Oh, just one more thing. Moses wants a glimpse of God. After some negotiations on how this might be done without resulting in Moses' death, arrangements are made in verses 18 to 23. This prearranged event takes place down in chapter 34. We'll see that in a few moments, beginning with verse 6. 
Incidentally, verse 11 might seem confusing in light of the remaining verses of this chapter. It says, So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Moses actually talks to the pillar of cloud, we see in verse 9. The reference of face to face, well, that reference addresses the difference between talking to God in heaven as opposed to having a conversation with God standing directly before Moses, though in the form of a pillar of cloud. Actually, another distinction is made regarding Moses' communication with God in Numbers chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. That's when God says, Then he said, Hear now my words, if there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face, even plainly and not in dark sayings, and he sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Well, as prophets of God go, that definitely sets Moses apart as unique, a point which is also emphasized at Moses' death over in Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 10, where it's said of him, But since then there has not risen in Israel a prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. So in chapter 34, Moses makes some new tablets. Remember, he broke the old ones. Verse 1. And the Lord said to Moses, Cut two tablets of stone like the first ones, and I will write on these tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. So be ready in the morning, and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai, and present yourself to me there on the top of the mountain. And no man shall come up with you, and let no man be seen throughout all the mountain. Let neither flocks nor herds feed before that mountain. So he cut two tablets of stone like the first ones, then Moses rose early in the morning and went up Mount Sinai, as the Lord had commanded him, and he took in his hand the two tablets of stone. Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. So Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. Then he said, If now I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us, even though we are a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us as your inheritance." We hear God instructs Moses to make the tablets upon which God will write the law. You'll recall that Moses had cast the first set to the ground and broke them upon his early return from the mountain in Exodus chapter 32, verse 19. This time Moses provides the blank stone tablets and God will write on them. Then he heads up the mountain all by himself. There he has the meeting which had been negotiated back in Exodus chapter 33, verses 18 to 23. In verse 9, we see here that Moses again is asking for God's favor and presence among the Israelites as they go to inhabit Canaan. God's reply to Moses begins in verse 10. Perhaps we should point out here that God had made the first tablets, the ones that Moses broke, but God will write upon these new tablets, and these new ones will be tablets that were made by Moses. 
Forty days without food or drink in chapter 34, beginning with verse 10. It says, And he said, Behold, I make a covenant. Before all your people I will do marvels such as have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord. For it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I am driving out from before you the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Take heed to yourself, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you are going, lest it be a snare in your midst. But you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, and cut down their wooden images. For you shall worship no other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous god." lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they play the harlot with their gods and make sacrifice to their gods, and one of them invites you and you eat of his sacrifice. And you take of his daughters, for your sons and his daughters play the harlot with their gods, and make your sons play the harlot with their gods. You shall make no molded gods for yourselves. The feast of unleavened bread you shall keep. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, as I commanded you in the appointed time of the month of Abib. For in the month of Abib you came out from Egypt. All that open the womb are mine, and every male firstborn among your livestock, whether ox or sheep. But the firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. And if you will not redeem him, then you shall break his neck. All the firstborn of your sons you shall redeem, and none shall appear before me empty-handed." Six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest you shall rest. And you shall observe the feast of weeks, of the first fruits of the wheat harvest, and the feast of ingathering at the year's end. Three times in the year all your men shall appear before the Lord, the Lord God of Israel. For I will cast out the nations before you and enlarge your borders. Neither will any man covet your land when you go up to appear before the Lord your God three times in the year. He shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leaven, nor shall the sacrifice of the feast of the Passover be left until morning. The first of the firstfruits of your land you shall bring to the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write these words, for according to the tenor of these words I have made a covenant with you and with Israel." So he was there with the Lord forty days and forty nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Moses was there on Mount Sinai receiving the word from God. No food, no drink for forty days. Then God gives Moses exhaustive instructions and replaces the words on the stone tablets known as the Ten Commandments. God restates to Moses the provisions of the law which would govern Israel well beyond just the Ten Commandments. God renews his covenant here with Israel regarding their promised land. Now let's take a look at those provisions. First of all, we see in verse 10 that God will do marvels before the Israelites. Then in verse 11, God will drive out the current inhabitants that live currently in Canaan. And then we see that in verses 12 through 16, Israel is to make no covenants with the Canaanites nor entertain any worship of their gods. Verse 17, there's to be no idolatry in Canaan. Verse 18, Israel is to keep the feast of unleavened bread. Uh, in verses 19 and 20, the firstborn of the land will belong to God. 
Now, in Numbers chapter 3, the Levites become the substitutes for the firstborn. And then we see in verse 21 that there's to be absolute rest on the Sabbath day. Verse 22, Israel shall keep two additional festivals. These are the Feast of Firstfruits, also known as Pentecost or Harvest, and then the Feast of Ingathering, also known as Tabernacles, also known as Booths. You want to see a list of all the Jewish festivals, then look at the article under the topic section of BibleTrack.org. And then we see in verse 23 that Israel will observe three annual pilgrimages each year for the three festivals that we just mentioned, and they're to go to the designated place. These are, by the way, restated in Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 16, when there it says, Three times a year all your males shall appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses, at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, at the Feast of Weeks, and at the Feast of Tabernacles. And they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. And then we see in verse 24, the Passover meal is to be free of leaven. And finally, in verse 26, we see that the first fruits are to be offered, presumably on the occasion of these three annual pilgrimages, which correspond to the agricultural year of Israel. The Feast of Unleavened Bread is the beginning of the barley harvest. The Feast of Pentecost is at the end of the early summer wheat harvest. And the Feast of Tabernacles is the beginning of a new agricultural year. And again, look at the article on the Jewish festivals if you want more details there. Verse 26 ends with an interesting stipulation. It says, You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. While this food preparation restriction doesn't seem to fit in with the other provisions found in this section, it's again also stipulated in in Exodus chapter 23, verse 19, and again in Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 21. Now, these provisions form the basis of God's covenant with Israel. Notice verse 27 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Write these words, for according to the tenor of these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. Then we get a big bonus in verses 29 to 35, a shining face of Moses. Verse 29. Now it was so when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand when he came down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. So when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. Then Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the children of Israel came near, and he gave them as commandments all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out. And he would come out and speak to the children of Israel, whatever he had been commanded. And whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone, then Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went in to speak with him. Whoa, I mean a glowing face. That's right, Moses' face glowed after being in the presence of God and receiving the law. Now, keep in mind what Paul says in 1 Corinthians one twenty-two. He says, for the Jews request a sign. Well, if you're looking for a sign, this ought to do it. Paul would later use this face shine of Moses to make a very important point about the law 
over in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. There he would point out that despite the unmistakable glory of the law, I mean with the face shine to prove it, the law would be one day done away. And that, of course, Paul says, is exactly what happened upon the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. So how noticeable was this glow on the face of Moses? Well, it was so unsettling to Aaron and the rest of the people that Moses had to put a veil on his face. must have been pretty bright. And then we have Sabbath regulations, beginning in chapter 35, verses 1 through 3, verse 1. Then Moses gathered all the congregation of the children of Israel together and said to them, These are the words which the Lord has commanded you to do. Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh day shall be a holy day for you, a Sabbath of rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire throughout your dwellings on the Sabbath day. Well, we see here Moses just down from the mountain with a shiny face had their attention as he spoke to Israel on this occasion. And here's the restatement of that Sabbath regulation again. And in really strong words, it's a death sentence to work on the Sabbath with a particular notation here to kindling a fire. Just don't do it. I just can't stop myself from saying it again. Don't try to convince me that you keep the Ten Commandments while you completely ignore the provisions of commandment number four, which is Sabbath keeping. Fact is, is Jesus fulfilled the law, said so in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. Paul says it has been done away in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. It's been nailed to the cross, Paul says, according to Colossians 2, 14, where he says, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. How can something so clearly stated in the Scripture get so mixed up by believers today? Believers are neither made righteous by obeying the law of Moses, nor are they kept righteous after salvation by doing so. The Scripture is very clear on this, but if you're still a little confused on the relationship between Christians and the Ten Commandments, then take a look at the article that I've written under the topic section of BibleTrack.org entitled, The Sabbath Day. Incidentally, let's take another look at the fire on the Sabbath prohibition in verse 3. Observant Jews today still adhere closely to this provision. While one may let a fire burn on the Sabbath that was previously lit, nothing can be done to maintain the fire throughout the entire Sabbath. This is an integral part of the law of Moses, just as just as binding, by the way, as any other provision of the law. Oh, incidentally, let me just say one more thing about the Sabbath day. This is not in the written notes. Uh, I've said it on other occasions, but not here today in the written notes of BibleTalk.org. But the Sabbath day to the Jews, according to the command of God, was a complete day of rest. They did not get together and worship at a gathering place on that day. It was an absolute, complete day of rest. But then let's look at the contributions and construction of the tabernacle, beginning in chapter 35, verse 4. And Moses spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord commanded, saying, Take from among you an offering to the Lord. Whoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it as an offering to the Lord, gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen, and goat's hair. 
ram skins dyed red, badger skins, and acacia wood, oil for the light and spices for the anointing oil and for the sweet incense, onyx stones and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate. All who are gifted artisans among you shall come and make all that the Lord has commanded, the tabernacle, its tent, its covering, its clasp, its boards, its bars, its pillars, and its sockets, the ark and its poles with the mercy seat and the veil of the covering, the tables and its poles, all its utensils and the showbread, also the lampstand for the light, its utensils, its lamps, and the oil for the light, the incense altar, its poles, the anointing oil, the sweet incense, and the screen for the door at the entrance of the tabernacle, the altar of burnt offering with its bronze grating, its poles, all its utensils, and the laver and its base, the hangings of the court, its pillars, their sockets, and the screen for the gate of the court, the pegs of the tabernacle, the pegs of the court, and their cords, the garments of ministry for ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron, the priest, and the garments of his sons to minister as priest, and all the congregation of the children of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. Then everyone came whose heart was stirred, and everyone whose spirit was willing, and they brought the Lord's offering for the work of the tabernacle of meeting, for all its service, and for the holy garments. They came, both men and women, as many as had a willing heart, and brought earrings and nose rings, rings and necklaces, all jewelry of gold, that is, every man who made an offering of gold to the Lord. And every man with whom was found blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen, goat's hair, Red skins of rams and badger skins brought them. Everyone who offered an offering of silver or bronze brought the Lord's offering, and everyone with whom was found acacia wood for any work of the service brought it. All the women who were gifted artisans spun yarn with their hands and brought what they'd spun of blue, purple, and scarlet and fine linen. And all the women whose hearts stirred with wisdom spun yarn of goat's hair. The rulers brought onyx stones and the stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate and spices and oil for the light, for the anointing oil, and for the sweet incense. The children of Israel brought a freewill offering to the Lord, all the men and women whose hearts were willing to bring material for all kinds of work which the Lord, by the hand of Moses, had commanded to be done. And Moses said to the children of Israel, See, the Lord has called my name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God, and wisdom, and understanding, and knowledge, and all manner of workmanship to design artistic works, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting jewels for setting, in carving wood, and to work in all manner of artistic workmanship. And he has put in his heart the ability to teach in him and Ahaliah, the son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan. He has filled them with skill to do all manner of work of the engraver and the designer and the tapestry maker, in blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine linen, and of the weaver, those who do every work and those who design artistic works. So Moses concludes his presentation with a call for contributions to build the tabernacle. Notice verses 21 and 22. It says, Then everyone came whose heart was stirred and everyone whose spirit was willing, and they brought the Lord's offering for the work of the tabernacle of meeting, for all its service and for the holy garments. They came, both men and women, as many as had a willing heart and brought earrings and nose rings, rings and necklaces, all jewelry of gold, that is, every man who made an offering of gold to the Lord. Now note here the emphasis in the contribution for the building of the tabernacle, that these contributions be from a willing heart. Let the work begin. And Hur's grandson, uh, sometimes pronounced Bezalel and sometimes Bezalel, 
He's the man who'll head up the building project with a special unction scene in verse 31, where it says there, He has filled him with the Spirit of God. Now, he'll be assisted by another man, and his name is Ahaliab. Incidentally, a very small tax, one-fifth of an ounce of silver, had been placed on every male Hebrew back in Exodus chapter 30, verses 11 through 16. Now, whether they chose to bring a contribution here or not, every male had at least a small stake in the tabernacle. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Faith Bible Church, Paul Walter. 